Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with this week's conversation about resilience. But first, if you wish to create a better life and have a better career, then please visit michaelobrienshift.com and download your free workbook on how to create a better life. In it, you'll discover ways to find more energy for the things and the people who matter most to you so you can create a better tomorrow. Hey there, it's Michael, and welcome back or welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast. It's time for another conversation about resilience, and today we have a special guest. I first met our guest back in February or March of this year on Clubhouse, which I've shared. And as soon as I heard his voice and what he shared, I knew we had to meet. It was almost like he was a brother from another mother. I just loved his energy, a sense of realism, but calm and beautiful perspectives on development. Now I could go through his whole resume. He's worked with Tony Robbins and others. Today, he's a business advisor to high-end businesses. He's also a new author, and I wanted to have him come on to the Kintsugi podcast to introduce him to you. He recently released The Kid and the King, a beautiful read that I highly recommend. In it, he walks through the emotional mastery process What do we do in our moments? You often have heard me talk about not letting a bad moment turn into a bad day. Well, Sashin has that process for that. What happens in these moments? Because things are going to happen to us. We're going to fall down in that Kintsugi spirit. The question is, when we get up, how do we get up? Where do we go next? I know you're going to love his energy and just his take on personal development today. So without further ado, I invite you to grab a piece of paper, a pen to write on, to take some notes, to write down all the gems he shares, maybe grab something to drink, coffee or tea, whatever it may be, and sit back and listen to our conversation about resilience with Shashin Shah, the author of The Kid and the King. Hey, everyone, we have a special guest with us today, one of my friends, one of my peeps, so I met Sashin Shah back in the beginning of 2021, and we kicked it off. It was almost like we were brothers from, you know, different mothers, if you will. And I just love his spirit. We've been able to do some work since, since that moment in time, share some philosophies. He recently just published an amazing book that we'll dive into, and we'll talk about resilience and coherence and really doing the inner work. So I am psyched for this conversation. So, Sash, welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast. It's time for another conversation about resilience, and you are the perfect guest to talk about resilience. So, welcome. Good morning. I love it, Michael. Good morning. So, we're going to start here, as we do with all of our guests. How would you define resilience? So, resilience to me, I mean, I guess it would just be the ability to, when something feels off or you know, off center from where you're wanting to go, the ability to bounce back elegantly. And I think maybe that's the word for me. There's this, the work that I think where I'm moving towards, and I think the work that you and I are both looking at is how, how do we do that elegantly? How do we do that with the least amount of effort, with the least amount of fight? 
you know, ups and downs happen, right? The yin and the yang, there's highs and lows, but our ability to elegantly navigate that to kind of course correct along the way, I think is the most important part of it for me. Yeah. I love the word elegance. You know, it brings up grace. You know, how do we gracefully walk through life? Yes. And be fully in our moment. So, because moments are going to happen, as you just mentioned, we're going to get knocked down. If we play in traffic, living a truly meaningful life, we're going to get knocked down. So how do we go through these moments with some grace? So uh, let's, so let, now we have that foundation of resilience at. Can you share a little bit more about your background with the audience? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to think what would be interesting and relevant to this conversation. I would, you know, there's the bio stuff that you can read about, and so I, I won't talk about that. But I think what's, you know, what's brought me to this place and into this field and into this work has been, you know, a circumstance, a life circumstance, I think like that we all have. And my particular story is growing up the way I did in, you know, in, in the suburbs of New York as a Indian immigrant's kid and, you know, trying to just navigate life. And, you know, the feeling from the beginning that when I was younger, I just didn't fit in. I wasn't a part of, you know, it's like waiting for Scotty to beam me back up to the planet I belonged on (laughs) because I just didn't seem to get it. At least it felt that way. And, you know, that kind of initial, you know, feeling I think had, if if I go back in time, I can really just chart the course of how that guided me in looking for seeking out the quote unquote answer. You know, I've heard someone say, you know, the, the, you know, the day that they were handing out the instruction book in life, you know, I must've been absent that day. And I think that, you know, my journey has been one of, you know, immense curiosity and almost in some ways, uh, you know, kind of a a desperate life-saving, you know, reach to how do I do this? How do I deal with being human? And and that led me down this path of personal development, self-discovery, and today, you know, serve as a, you know, a trusted advisor for, you know, executives that are trying to navigate the world of business and person, you know, the personal world. I love it. Yeah, I know that sense of belonging. The more times I travel around the sun, I, <laughs> as I get older, that whole feeling like so many of us didn't have that sense of belonging. Well, regardless of our backgrounds and where we come from, and, and for some it's more intense than others, but I do think we we thirst for that. And after going through what we've gone through now for the last 19, 20 months, that sense of belonging, I think we're even thirsty, thirstier for it, you know, to feel like we're included in something. 100%. You know, and, and how do we go forward together? I think some of the isolation, I think for some has been good, but I think ultimately like we need to feel like we have, yeah, have belonging, you know, have a sense of purpose that it's grounding, you know, like yeah. roots of a, like a really beautiful oak tree. Like we, we, we need that. I think we need that even more so as we go forward. So I just uh, love what, what you shared. I, you know, I felt it too when I was younger, a little, I, it's more about, I felt like I belonged on the, in sports, but outside of sports, I didn't feel like I belonged and I didn't feel heard or seen. And I think we go through like some variation of that, like not being heard, not being seen, not being loved, not feeling like we belong. And that, well, you know, we go through experiences that lays down some scars. It's part of our Kintsugi. And then as we grow older, hopefully with a little bit more wisdom, 
we can see we can start to see ourselves a little bit differently. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's the magic and growing older and the wisdom that we get. It's a hundred percent, and I think that you know I feel so privileged to have evolved into this career in which I do have an opportunity on a day to day basis to listen to you know, some of the most successful people, arguably some of the most interesting people and who have, you know, achieved and and have, you know, run up the flagpole and rang the bell. And it doesn't shock me anymore, but I think that it's so important for me to just recognize that with that window into the world, how much reassurance there is, is that there's nothing wrong here with me and my thoughts. I mean, you get that, you know, a lot of the clients that I'll talk to come from two schools, either they were trying to be good boys and good girls, they were really dutiful. And, you know, that's how they won the game of life. And all they wanted to do is be seen and heard by their parents and society. And they became fine young men and they could nod their head in the right places, shake their hand and look people in the eye with a smile on their face and pull their shoulders back and do those things. And, there was that school that wanted to be seen. And then there was the other school that was like the rebels that like, you know, they were like the the downtrodden or you know, someone told them they couldn't do it or came from some background or their parents were a particular way. And, you know, they, they came through the world of like, I'll show you. And that also created, you know, this being seen and they're successful by, you know, most standards of material wealth and accolades and titles. And yet, I don't know, when I feel like they end up in my world, there's something that's missing in there. There is a fuel that's run out. They've, they've, they've been going so hard. And, you know, I think it's like the strategy has an expiration date. And so in the context of resilience, their ability to kind of tap back into that fuel is gone. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like they got given a hammer, right, in life at a young kid and they got this hammer and all they do is they run around hammering and they're really good at it. I mean, they can whack that hammer. They can cut a piece of, they can cut a two by four with a hammer if they whack it the right way and put it in a vice and they're wicked and they can bang it down to make it really smooth. And it's just, it's a lot of work and it's not very elegant at times right like wow if you just took a you know a table saw you could have cut that super easily but you've got a hammer and you're really good with that hammer i, I like that hammer of yours i think that's where you know you end up seeing some of the challenges i agree it goes back to that old saying like if uh, if the only tool you have is a hammer you see everything as a nail right and that's so right. after a while you get and you can get i think you folks have and continue to get to very high places on that success ladder, if you will, depending on how you define success, right? So I think both you and I define success a little bit differently than we say we did when we were 25. That's right. But a lot of people, like in a traditional definition of success, uh, climb the corporate ladder, if you will, or the entrepreneurial ladder, have followers, have influence, have stuff, right? The hammer works for a while maybe even half your life. And then you get to, a, I think, a certain age and the hammer loses its effectiveness, you know, because we're, to your point, I think we're run out, we're out of fuel. What do we do then? And that's, that's where we come into the inner work. Now, before like we hit, rec- we hit record here. So we talked about coherence and I love to, I want to bring that concept up, like, because it ties to the 
your company's name. And so when you think of coherence vis-a-vis resilience and like this moment in time, what comes up for you, Sash? It's so interesting to me because, you know, I really hit my stride in the last couple of years. And, you know, I named my company Coherent Strategies, you know, almost 20 years ago. And I read um, HeartMath's book, From Chaos to Coherence. I thought there was something really compelling about this idea of, you know, taking fractal light and honing it down into a laser and how effective you can be. I could arguably say that my life could have, or the company could have been called Incoherent Strategies because I tried like not doing a lot of things or doing things the opposite way or doing things the hard way. And again, because I had a hammer, right? I was the rebel. I could do things my way. I didn't have to follow the rules. And, you know, that, and like, and I think it's important to mention that it does work to a certain degree. But if we start talking about like elegance and wisdom and, you know, and both you and I are over 50 now. And I, you know, so for me, the idea of, you know, you're a, you're a cyclist. I mean, I, you probably heard this analogy, but like, you know, an ability of a, a bike wheel, for example, to ride on a flat road, if you've got a couple of spokes out of whack, I mean, you're fine. I mean, you'll, you can ride that ride, no problem. Not a problem at all, right? I mean, you can have them all out of whack. The bike can be out of tune, but you'll have a decent ride. I mean, you can enjoy the scenery, cruise along, and you're not going to worry about it a whole lot. But the moment you hit like a stone or a bump in the road with your spokes out of whack, your ability to withstand that shock is completely mitigated by the fact that if those spokes are out of whack. So if you're if you're out of alignment, if things are out of whack, when you hit that bump in the road, the likelihood is that wheel will bend and it will become a really, really bumpy ride. And so the idea of coherence, and you know, we've seen the wheel of life and looking at all the different areas of your life and is is just bringing, you know, just a level of, you know, integrity into the all of the areas of your life. And now when I say that, it, I think that's the work in life is that it's we're, we're, we're constantly looking at how do I live my life in coherence? How do I create some balance around myself so that I'm not trading my workout schedule for getting work done, or I'm not trading getting work done for managing my finances, or I'm not I'm managing my finances, but not doing the work to go earn money. Or there's this whole notion in business of like, well, there's everything's got a trade-off. You know, you do one, there's going to be less of this. And it's a zero-sum game. And so I think the artistry that I continue to keep, you know, kind of reveling in and playing with is, you know, how do I, what, what's the life, what does life look like for me? And, you know, how do this, how's the EQ settings on my life optimal where I'm really feeling in resonance with me, right? No one wants to really wake up in the morning and hike up to the top of the mountain at five o'clock in the morning. It was 35 degrees. It's inconvenient and cold. But for me, that's part of my, you know, that's on my EQ list. You know, that's some of the stuff that works for me. So I think that's what it is. And so I feel like when that all feels good, when things are kind of singing and humming along, as life presents challenges, as life presents things, my ability to kind of center, to ground, to observe, interpret, look at, see the situation for what it is rather than an extraordinary dramatic story that I could tend to make up about things, that's all really directly related to like how coherently am I living my life today? I love that. 
And thanks for throwing in a little cycling analogy. So I'm going to pull that <laughs> cycling analogy thread just a little bit further. So let's go. When you're riding your bike, and let's just say we'll go to resilience, you fall down, right? The question that a cyclist will ask first to those around him or her, if there are people around him or her, is how's my bike? That was the question I asked the EMTs when I got hit, right? How's my bike? That's a little bit of a jokey <laughs> thing, but right. for a cyclist, it's a serious thing. Like, how's my bike? And our ability to get back up sort of depends on the alignment of the bike and the alignment of ourselves. That's right. So when we crash, because if we're going to ride in traffic, we're going to crash. If we're going to live in traffic, we'll have moments. If the bike is damaged in some way, you may be able to get it up, but you can't keep pedaling forward. Or if we break something, we're out of alignment. So this whole concept of alignment, I think, is so key. And in this spirit, too, like pulling on again what you said, Sash, is that when, when you have a few spokes out of alignment, it puts stress on all the other spokes. Yes. And so you have, you might be killing it with your career, but if your personal life is a mess, well, that, that mess, if you want to label it as such, is pulling on your career. Like if you can get things into harmony or balance, then all aspects of your life work better. That's right. And that requires a lot of, a lot of inner work, a lot of inner. So I, I love that concept. So I want to get to the book. Yeah. Because I love the book, The Kid and the King. So, and we've talked through, through it and I want to bring it to life, um, for the, for the listeners, but I want to start here. Why write it now? And everyone, it seems like everyone has a book. And so for some, you know, <laughs> aspiring authors, it's like, oh gosh, there are there too many books out there? So I'm not sure if you wrestled with that, but what was, what was the spark? What was the genesis of you writing this book at this point in your life? It's a great question to answer, right? Because there, there's some story back behind that. You know, about 10 or 15 years ago, it was like, oh, Shashin, you got to get a blog. Oh, do you, you know, you have to get a podcast going. You know, if you're going to be a coach, you know, you're going to have to get an audience. You're going to have to do all these. And, and at that time, there was this push of getting a book. You can write a book in 30 days. Do like there was all this stuff that was going out around then, and it still is to this it's the same degree. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, none of that was in resonance with me at that time. I like I was like, I didn't have, I hadn't really codified anything that I thought that was valuable enough that would you know be a book. I had read a lot of books. I've read a lot of bad books. I've read a lot of you know. Um, colleagues of mine's books that, you know, and I heard everything from like, oh, just write it. It's like, a, it's a business card. It'll give you credibility. It'll, it'll do this for you. It'll do that for you. And I was like, well, what about writing a book that will actually do something for the person that's reading it, right? Not about me. And I, you know, in the dedication of the book, oh God, I had it right here. You know, I said, I, I was like, who am I going to dedicate this book to? And I said, I said, to you, the reader, for the curiosity that has brought you to this place on your journey. May the concepts and ideas put forth in the following chapters light up a path that brings you more love, compassion, joy, gratitude, and adventure. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, a mentor of mine said, whatever you do, don't be a hack, Shashin. Don't throw anything out there that you're not really proud of. And it took me six years to get here. And it, looked, it took a lot of tearing myself apart and putting myself back together again to actually get this final version done. I rewrote the whole thing. I wrote, I tore up the manuscript 
during COVID. And I just said, this isn't me. This isn't reflective of the work that I want to put out there. I don't think that this is actually of any benefit to the reader the way it's written. And a guy by the name of Robert Stover, who really helped me um, organize my thoughts in a more coherent way, he said, I'm going to be the advocate for your reader in this process. And we're going to get down to the essence of what you've been teaching and doing for all these years so it can, can be communicable. And that's what I did. And that's why I wrote the book, because I think it's so important in this time. I love it. I love it. I want to start with how you open the book and ask you to comment on it. So in the introduction, you start with, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing to fix. Nothing is broken. Yet you experience an inner struggle. Why? So in today's age, you know, I, those first lines, and you can tell a good book by the first couple of lines, you know, I struggled before my accident, and this was before social media, that like I, I wasn't complete, right? I had to do more to be more. And now you add in social media, and we now know that Facebook and Instagram, they know how harmful and toxic Instagram is to teenage girls. And the whole concept of FOMO or comparisonitis or any other phrase that's Imposter not healthy. syndrome. Also. Yeah, it just it like it's it's sort of set up that we're we're all and you and I are both on social media. We share the highlight reels of our lives. And it can add to the fire that the you know, you're just not enough, right? You, there's something that needs to be fixed. You're not complete yet. And you know, and you even mention as like the reason to write the book, there are a whole bunch of people saying, you're not really a complete coach yet. You need to fix all this stuff, Sash. You need a blog and a podcast <laughs> and all that. That's right. And that was, you know, going back a few years and it's just, it's grown bigger, I think, with even more juice, you know, now in 2021. So, you know, just your thoughts there is just like, as you wrote that, like, I'm totally with you, but then how do, how do we navigate like that belief in a world that sort of seems to be set up with messages that are communicating that you do need to be fixed. You're just not enough yet. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I opened up the book is because, you know, the industry that, you know, the personal development industry, I mean, I think it's, and it, there's just this, you know, we're, we're constantly, I think we're just being lied to. I think the big lie is that you're broken and that you need this. And and I think we're just getting in, we're just as a culture, I think the marketing guys have got us, right? We live in a world that's driven by an advertising media that basically says, you need this, you need, there's this focus on external solutions, external manifestations that will somehow lead us to believe that we're going to feel better, look better, and all of those different things. And I think that the approach that a lot of the teachers that are out there are teaching, a lot of the self-help industry are utilizing, is this approach of, it's a very masculine, fix it, crush it, beat it, Slay conquer it. it, all of that, right? Like it's, it's that kind of thing. And what's so delicate about that is that that's effective, right? I mean, if you're you know, on the streets and you're, I mean, if you're in a hole, deep, deep, deep in a hole, you're going to have to use, let's call it the hammer, like, you know, and really, really fight. You're going to need to walk over those coals or, you know, you know, run to the top, whatever that might, you may need to harness that part of you 
to accomplish that almost survival situation, if you will. And I think it's appropriate in those situations. But, you know, if you're going to come to the table with a business challenge or maybe it's a weight challenge or a health challenge, and what you're trying to do is subjugate this part of you, the insecurity, that wanting to belong, the wanting to be seen, the insecurity, and try to squash it down and push it down, what I've seen over time is that while that may be effective, and that's the thing I want people to hear, it works. It'll get you that car. It will get you to be the number one in your field. It can get you the new job, the new title. It can get you a successful launch in your media campaign. It can get you more clients. But at this stage of life for me, and you I know too, and my clients' lives, they've done that. And the experience that they have after doing those things is typically suboptimal. It looks great. The, the reels are great. The resumes are great. The LinkedIn profiles are great. But they never feel, I've never felt as good as my life looked until I started taking on that inner coherence, that inner, started doing the deeper work, asking like three hard questions that I, I think are underestimated how difficult they are to answer honestly. Like, what do you want? Why do you want it? You know, and what are you willing to do to get it? And I think that that to me is really what this is about. And so the idea that there's nothing wrong with you is this idea that instead of fighting with that side of you, and instead of having an adversarial relationship with yourself where you need to do punitive disciplinary measures or punitive accountability measures and all of those things, which again, I will say it again, they all are effective to some degree. But if we're playing the long game, learning to meet that side of you with some love, with some compassion, with maybe a new paradigm, a new framework to operate in being like, oh, you know what? I'm about to try something new. You know what's predictable? I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to delay. I'm going to probably be disorganized. I'm going to probably make excuses. I'm going to probably think it's not a good idea. My brain is just going to And instead of trying to shut it up, crush it, squash it, to be like, oh no, I hear you. Of course you feel that way. Think about all the things that you went through in which you were embarrassed, hurt, whatever that might be. Sure, okay. Okay, now that we've got that, that that's what's there, how do we create with that simultaneously existing without having to shut it up? And I think that to me is one of the core essences of messages of the book that I don't think is being spoken loudly enough. I think it's intellectual for most people, but most people will just be like, fuck it. Yeah, that's good. Just that's it. I, I'm done. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush this now, and that's what I think goes on. Yeah, I think it goes on a lot. I think that aspect of personal development, self help, however you want to phrase it, there is a rocket fuel type of feeling with it that works. Yes, like you can take the course, you can get hyped up, you can get jacked up, you go to the seminar, and then three days later the fuel burns off. There you go. Yep. And there's nothing left. So it's like a drug. Like, so what do we do? Well, we take another course. That's right. And and I think the prey, and I'll use prey in this, because a lot of the gurus of self-help, 
um, portray themselves as the the lion, right? Some of them have icons. So it's like, I'm the lion. I'm the king of the jungle. <laughs> and so if they're the lion, then the other, like the antelopes are all the coaches out there, all the people that want to break into personal growth. There's another course to sell, right? So it's another dopamine hit or, you know, another hit. Like, well, I went through that course and that felt great. And then three days later, the fuel runs out. So then you got to take another course or go to another seminar and you just keep on chasing it and chasing it and feeding the addiction. And it's all transactional. It doesn't last. It's not the long game. And what you talk about in The Kid and the King is the long game. Like, why are you here? (laughs) What do you wish to do? And why do you wish to do it? And then how do you get to a sense of emotional mastery? And I want to talk next about those questions. Like, I hope you can share those with the audience. But like, I think the self-help industry, which we spend billions on and we're in it. Yeah. I think too much of the industry preys on people. And it's the Lamborghinis, Learjets, you can be this way. And this chase of a whole bunch of people looking to be included as a sense of belonging because they just don't feel like they're enough yet on their own. Uh, so I think... And, and you're bringing up that what they're putting out there, which is, you know, the external manifestations of a life that supposedly has this experience, right? We're setting these goals. We're we're looking at these things. We're setting these vision boards. We're putting these yachts and the men and the women and the whatever it might be in our future. And we're visualizing them. We're telling ourselves affirmations and all these different things because we somehow believe that when we get those things, our experience of life will be different. That somehow that voice of insecurity, that voice of self-doubt, that voice of whatever that seems to be suboptimal as we listen to it, it doesn't feel good, will somehow go away. And I truly believe that's what people are actually signing up for. They're not signing up for the car. They're not signing up for the wedding. They're not signing up for the big house. They're What they're signing up for is at some point, that voice in my head just turns off. And I think every single client that I've spoken to in the past 10 years, I've made sure that they understand when we get started in this conversation, I am not going to be able to do that for you. What I will be able to do for you is for you to know that voice in such intimate detail, distinguish it in so many different colorful ways that the moment you start to hear it again, It'll be like, you know, you standing up at the plate and, you know, there's a pitch high and outside. Instead of swinging at it like a flailing, you know, just flailing at that pitch, you're just going to be like smiling. I go like, nah, I'm not taking the bait today. It's okay. As expected, that's not the kind of pitch I swing at anymore. And I think the more you can do that, the more you train yourself to see and distinguish where those things are just not in your lane and have nothing to do with you. And right, the more you can figure that out, the richer, the more resilient you can be in life. 
Because you're not just hacking away at stuff. I love that. I do, but I do agree with you too that it's not the car, it's not the mansion, or the guy or the gal. It's it's the feeling. We go after feelings. We go after emotions. And it's all the quiet, like, okay, we finally have made it. And the thing is, is that wherever you're right now, you've made it right now here. And then you can build upon it. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, complacent. You can be grateful for what you have right now and still thirsty to like make more of an impact. You know, that the whole idea of vision boards, I don't personally have one. I know a lot of people that do. And they they all seem to have all this all these material possessions on them. I want to see the vision board that has like world peace or the fact that everyone has like clean water to drink or in the richest country in the world, like people don't go hungry. Like, why don't we manifest more of that? You know, people talk about manifesting like this thing and that thing. It's again, it's all, it's all the material possessions that we think will complete us, but never do. Because there's always going to be someone else that has a bigger boat. That's right. That's right. No, and and I think it's the consciousness of the person at that stage in development that those kinds of kind of that vision board concept is helpful, right? It can pull yes. people up and through where they are to believe in something bigger and more than themselves, but. You know, I know Jim Carrey for years has been saying like, he's like, you think, you know, getting a million dollars is going to make you happy. I mean, there's all these famous, you know, versions of him like saying that again and again about like, I'll tell you, you're wrong. You know, and there's enough examples of people with success and all of that that find it at the end of the day and then don't have the internal structure, the internal work done, the foundation built upon which that thing that they finally got to can be enjoyed and appreciated in the way that would bring them happiness. So much of that, I think, represents something that they think might, but it may not be in resonance with them. And I think that's how it all sorts out. But you bring up something that's at the core. And honestly, the next book that I want to really write now is you know, years ago, one of my mentors, Matthew Ferry, he, he, we were talking about this idea of vision boards. And it was like, in, I think it was like an 05, 06. It was like the secret just came out and it was the law of attraction and get your vision board up there. And, you know, you want to buy a red, you, know, you want a red Porsche, go to the dealership and go drive a red Porsche. And guess what? You're going to start seeing red Porsches everywhere. Right. And that was like the, the wisdom. So visualize it, see it, touch it, be it. And I remember you know, he said to me, he said, nah, he's like, I prefer miracle boards. I'm like, what, what's a miracle board? He's like, it's, it's a board where you declare all the unexpected good fortune in your life. And I'm like, unexpected good fortune. And I says, yeah. He's like, you know, it's like, you just, you basically go through life and you declare what has been unexpected and good that's happened to me today. And to start to declare that and start seeing and noticing and distinguishing those things that are unexpected and good that happen in spite of yourself. And that took me back to an interview I did when I was 22 years old for this book, Enterprising Women. And I got to meet this woman, Trisha Wilson, and she was, she is or was a interior designer in Dallas, Texas, and very successful. She did 
big hotels, the Riga, the Waldorf, all these places. And I remember I was really young. I was the ghostwriter for this book. And I walked into her office. She's like, who are you? And, you know, and anyway, two hours later, we had this great interview and chat. And I said to Trisha, I said, Trisha, what's next for you? And she just leaned over and she said to me, she's like, Shashin, I just don't have the creativity to answer that question. She said, if you told me a year ago that I'd be on safari in Africa, and on that said safari, I'd meet the most handsome gentleman to whom I would be engaged six months later, I would have said, you're crazy. And she says, you know what? That's what happened. She said, if I told you that I'd be sitting on a first-class seat on my way to New York at the Waldorf Astoria and sitting next to me with two Japanese men, and my only word of Japanese that I knew was konnichiwa with a glass of champagne in my hand at 10 a.m., mind you. I reached over and said konnichiwa, that that single event opened up the doorway to our company's two biggest hotel projects in the history of our 20-year history. I would have said, what are you smoking? But you know what? That's what happened. And she said, you know, you live life, you know, you just, it's like, we know where we're headed. You know, you show up, you do a good job. When you mess up, you admit it. You know, just be kind to people. And it's like somehow the world has an interesting way of working itself out. And I remember hearing that and getting so just, it took me years to really get the profundity of that. But I think this goes back to our original topic of like coherence, setting a good foundation. How's our inner alignment? And if we're actually living in that way, we're not slapping stuff on top of a foundation that's just got muddy water. You know, that same mentor said to me, he's like, you know what, Shashin? He's like, you know, the thing about you is, he's like, you're like a rose garden with the sewer running underneath you. He's like, it looks really pretty, man. But as you get close to you, man, you stink. You just stink. And I think that, you know, I've spent a good part of my life getting down in that sewer and picking up all the trash, laying it out to dry and cleaning things and continually putting fresh water in that system so that the flowers smell good. You can get close these days and it doesn't stink anymore. And I think that's what it's about. And if you can live your life in that way, I think you're talking about, you know, we go into this world of living in the miraculous, like, you know, the unexpected good fortune, the serendipity of life. And I think that's where, I think that's the artistry. That's the fun. That's the experience of being alive in life. I think that's what's exciting to me these days. I love it. I think it gets down to purpose, or at least you can tie it back to purpose. And I've been in a lot of conversations, I would say, over the last three months. Maybe it's because of what we're going through as a planet, as a country. You know, what's my purpose? once we get through this and create the new normal, if you will. So everyone seems to be searching for their purpose. What's my purpose? I don't have a purpose. What's my purpose? Like, I got to find my purpose. No, no, the purpose will find you. Like the back and forth. Oh, I got a worksheet on purpose. Oh, we'll do this workshop on purpose. All that jazz. To what you just said, I think it can tie back to purpose, that our purpose, the purpose of life that we all share is to be fully in our moment like this moment and then this one and then this one, that we're fully present for this one wild and precious life. That's life. That's what it means to live. All this other stuff, you know, we've talked about in the past. You can't take it with you, right? But golly, do we chase it <laughs> along the way. And we miss an opportunity to be like present in our lives, be fully here. 
So I, I just yeah, love that. And I think, and I think though, but you know, and, and, and it sounds so, if you will, cliche, like we just have to be here now, but if you really take on what that really means and what's required of oneself to experience that with greater frequency, there's a whole world to unpack there, right? There's a whole load of things that surface up that prevent us from that. So, you know, I think that the artistry in the work in life is to, to keep, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not present moment all the time, but boy, as, I, as I, I'm finding myself more and more present, I'm finding not as distracted as I once was, or not needing to be distracted as I once was. I don't have to sit there and do a day of Netflix or, you know, I don't have to drink, you know, that, you know, bottle of wine at night to just numb myself or I, I don't have to, you know, whatever it is, pick, pick your poison. But I think that we live, at least I've lived in a very distracted state and that discomfort of being present, sit in silence for a while. So you want to be uncomfortable, sit in silence and just listen to yourself. I mean, that's why people don't like meditation very much. And it's like, God, I just can't settle my brain. I, it keeps going. So what do I do instead of trying to settle it? Let me just distract it. That way I don't have to pay any attention to it. So I think that like, if you, if I love what you just said there, because, you know, just see what stands in the way of you being actively present in your moments of your day and see what comes up. And boy, that's a, that's a lifelong journey of work that I think that we're all, you know, that's that, I think that's the work. That's the work. Yeah. That's the work. Yeah. I want to end with your five questions. Yeah. Your five emotional mastery questions. Can you share them with us? Yeah. And, you know, just to, just a little pretext for this, you know, these questions, you know, there's nothing really new about them, but organized in this way, I think really, if someone gets nothing else out of this other than these five questions and just practice these things for 30 days, you will begin to see that which stands in the way of you being present in that moment to have an experience of life. And what the questions ask of you is to take a situation and again, these are questions kind of post-mortem. So something has already happened already. And now you're trying to say like, God, you know, I'm just not feeling great. I'm feeling out of sorts. I'm feeling out of alignment or I'm just triggered and upset. And the five questions most simply are, first is asking what actually happened? What did you observe? And if you can do that and strip away all of the interpretation that typically we add automatically into anything that we see and just simply articulate that. It's like, I walked into the house, my wife said, blah, 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 blah. I walked into the restaurant and the, you know, right, and just really, really simplify things. We can then go to the second question distinct from that is, well, what did I conclude? Well, I walked into my house and my wife said, blah, blah, blah. I concluded she was angry. Well, that's different, right? And so when we start getting into that second question of what did I conclude, a whole world opens up in terms of, gosh, what I conclude about kind of objective things that happen in the world 
are completely based on my conditioned experience in life. And that opens up a whole world of self-discovery that we can get into at another call. But then the third question then becomes from what did I observe? What did I conclude? Well, then how did I react? What was the emotional space that got created inside of me? How did I feel really more than I react? How did I feel? So she was angry. I got angry. And then the fourth question is, well, what action did I take coming from that emotional state? And then the fifth question is, well, did that action move me closer to or farther from my intended outcome? And when clients hear this for the first time, a couple of things happen. They first get that like, oh God, what actually happened versus what I concluded, there are so many things that can happen in that second question. Then the third question of like my emotional state, like, wow, my emotional state actually is the reason why I acted that way. I mean, I could have acted a lot. I could have just kept my mouth shut. I could have said something nice, but no, but I was so upset. I was so triggered that, wow, I could actually have other options to act on. But if I don't, if I don't get into that emotional state, well, to not get in the emotional state, you got to go back. Well, I have to conclude something different on those events. And then the next thing they realize is that like, I didn't really have an outcome in mind. You know, I was just going through life with an expectation of how people should and shouldn't be. And when, you know, when people don't act the way I want them to, it pisses me off. I have a reaction. So rather than, you know, really creating outcomes, we actually have expectations. So if we can shift from having expectations of the world and how things should and shouldn't be according to ourselves and start creating outcomes, well, it opens up now a doorway to other possibilities of collaboration or maybe letting people know what it is that you want from them and that kind of thing. And, and, and meeting that independent, free-thinking person with their own set of conditions, beliefs, and values that has their expectations of how the world should be, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's a whole nother podcast about, you know, can we get, can we all just get along, right? So, <laughs> Yes. That question still <laughs> remains unanswered, right? So, uh <laughs> I think the answer is yes. I have faith. Yes. I've, I've, I'm optimistic. So I love, I love those questions, Sash. And I loved the king and the kid, the kid and the king. So yeah. I keep on putting the king in front of the kid. That's how it actually works. Eventually, you actually put the king in front of the kid, and you put the kid in the back seat and take him for the ride and give him some ice cream and some DVDs and let him take a cruise with you. Chin, chin up and crown on. But there you a go. great great contribution. I'm so, I'm psyched for you. I'm, I'm grateful that you wrote the book. There is brilliance in it that we all need at this moment in time. I do think, and I know you feel the same way, we're on the cusp of something. We either go forward and create a better tomorrow for all of us, or we revert back. And right now, I think you have, you know, that's the battle, if you will. Uh, how are we going to go forward? Um, are we going to be living in our present moment, fully awake to this one wild and precious life? Or are we going to continue numbing ourselves from, you know, from the life that we only get one crack at? How can people reach you? What's the best way? Um, the easiest way is at Shashin. Um, so Shashin.com is the website and that's spelled S-H-A-S-H-E-E-N.com. And, you know, from there, you can follow social and um, there's a link to the book on the website. Um, 
yeah, and at Shashin on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, it's all at Shashin. And uh, yeah, there's nothing to sign up for. There's no courses. There's no funnel. I'm not going to ask you a whole lot of questions. If you want the book, pick it up. The audio book should be out really shortly. And um, you know, if someone wants to engage in a conversation, send me an email. You know, and and tell me what's what's on your mind and. Uh, Maybe beyond, hey, how are you? I loved your book. But, you know, ask ask a good question, engage. And uh, that's what the book's about is re-engaging, reigniting, connecting. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how you can reach me, at Shashin. Love it, brother. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Have fun storming the castle. I sure will. All right, my man. Be good. Hey, there's Michael. Well, welcome back. I hope you loved our interview with Shashin as much as I did. He is a mensch, as they say, in New York. And I encourage you to follow him, connect with him on his website or through whatever social media you wish to connect with him on, and pick up his book, The Kid and the King. Excellent read. It's beautifully done. As he mentioned, it took him years to write, but I'm so glad he did because he came out with a masterpiece. A masterpiece that allows you to go through your moments with more awareness to be emotionally aware. So when you have a tough moment, you don't give that moment any more fuel than it deserves and it turns into a bad day or even longer. So again, I hope you enjoyed the energy of Sashin, his philosophy, his take on personal development today. And I hope you'll follow up with him, connect with him. I know he'll enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening and subscribing and commenting and sharing with your friends. Until next week's conversation about resilience on the Kintsugi Podcast, remember, if you have a challenging moment or two, come back to your breath, slow it down, and know that you got this and we got you. And don't forget to have fun storming the castle. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.